We've got a great next session for you focused on the role that EAs can play in government. To kick it off, Jason Matheny is here. He is the director, director of IARPA, the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity, where he had previously served as a program manager, associate office director, and office director. Among his accomplishments at IARPA, Jason developed the Good Judgment Project, which created prediction contests that showed how some everyday citizens, who later became known as super forecasters, could work together to predict future events at a level that rivaled the intelligence community's own internal forecasts. Before IARPA, he worked at Oxford University's Future of Humanity Institute, the World Bank, the Applied Physics Laboratory, the Center for Biosecurity, and at Princeton, and he is also the co-founder of two biotechnology companies. Here to speak about the role that EAs can play in government and the good that can be done by intelligently directing government funding, please join me in welcoming Jason Matheny. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Nathan. I don't have any slides just because they're much harder to get through government review, which will be a big part of my talk today on what to do and not to do in government. Um, it's, it's great to see so many um, young people who are thinking about career options. Um, you know, I sort of feel like I'm close to dying now, so there's only like so much good remaining, um, unless I'm like cryonically preserved and resuscitated later. You all have so many decades left to do enormous amount of good with your lives. Um, so thank you for spending at least 50 minutes of that life to think about uh, options in government. Um, I'm going to describe, uh, I think, a few different paths to doing good within government that don't rely on spending an entire career in government. I mean, it might be a two-year stint or a five-year stint, uh, but still being able to accomplish a huge amount of good. Um, I'm going to talk about three things. So the first is how I came into government. Uh, the second is the roles for EAs working within government. And the third is some practical advice um, on uh, picking jobs within government, whether short-term or, or longer-term. Uh, my own uh, route uh, was sort of circuitous in that I started uh, working um, uh, in college, uh, planning to become an architect. Uh, and uh, shortly after I graduated, I found an orphaned copy of the 1993 World Bank World Development Report, um, which both dates me um, and dates a lot of my um, perspective on, um, on problems of altruism. Um, so the report was really focused on how do you do cost-effectiveness analysis on health and development. And for me, this was the first time I was ever exposed to an argument about how cheaply um, you could save lives and significantly reduce suffering. Um, so this was one of the first reports that looked at uh, the cost per daily averted disability-adjusted life year uh, averted for a range of different health interventions. Um, and I thought this, this application of cost-effectiveness analysis to health and development uh, was pretty eye-opening. I mean, for one, it showed that you could save millions of lives for less than about $1,000 per life. Um, but it also showed that there were tremendous differences between the most cost-effective interventions and the least cost-effective interventions, uh, so that our decisions about what to invest in uh, have a huge impact. Um, so I ended up deciding not to become an architect, um, or else I'd be giving a talk on uh, effective altruism in architecture. Um, and I decided to instead go into global health. 
um, and worked for several years working on global infectious diseases, uh, especially malaria, tuberculosis, HIV, uh, in, in South Asia, but, um, uh, but also in East Asia. Uh, and it was in 2002 that I made another career shift, uh, which was that same year, the, um, uh, for the first time, the first virus was synthesized from scratch, uh, de novo. So it, it sort of turned biology into something more closely approximating computer science or an engineering discipline. Uh, so you could take chemical constituents of DNA and create uh, a new genome. Uh, at that time, the technology was fairly primitive. Uh, the longest virus that you could assemble was polio. That wasn't too much to worry about. We already had vaccines for polio. Uh, we knew how to control polio. Uh, but I and most of the people who I had worked with um, had worried uh, that somebody would apply this technology to um, recreate smallpox, uh, recreate the 1918 influenza that killed over 50 million people in one year, um, or make something uh, much worse than any naturally occurring virus. Uh, since there are limits to nature's ingenuity uh, that might be outpaced by human ingenuity. So I moved from working on uh, naturally occurring global infectious diseases to working on uh, defenses against engineered threats. Uh, and that, that work uh, then led me to um, uh, some of the places that Nathan mentioned, including the Future of Humanity Institute, thinking about how we wrestle with uh, emerging technologies and risks from emerging technologies. Um, I thought about ways that I could have an impact on this area. One way seemed like doing research myself, um, but I didn't think um, I was especially smart in doing that research, and it seemed like there were people who were smarter than me, like Nick Bostrom, who could be doing that research. So what were ways that I could uh, find to deliver more funding to people who were smarter than me? So that's why I joined government. So I, uh, I came to IARPA uh, as a way of having a multiplier effect on my effort and the effort of other researchers uh, to uh, set up a budget in which I could fund important research uh, in a range of areas, including risk assessment, uh, technical forecasting, um, work on biosecurity, nuclear security, cybersecurity, assessments of uh, future risks from things like autonomous weapons um, or uh, AI accidents. Um, and the work that, um, that I've done at IARPA um, has, I think, convinced me that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit uh, within government positions uh, that we should be picking um, as effective altruists. There are many different roles uh, that effective altruists can have within government organizations. So I'm going to tell you um, about a few of them. Um, if you're, and I'm, I'll, I'll limit it to the three areas that I have um, some background in, which is uh, global health, uh, animal welfare, and catastrophic risks. But I think in general, uh, government is a place that has leverage over a variety of different pressing societal issues. So the topics that I'm leaving out uh, is not because I think they're, uh, they don't have influence on the topics, it's just because I'm ignorant. Uh, in global health, uh, there is enormous impact that government funding has on the development of new vaccines, antivirals, and antibiotics, uh, as well as other therapies. And much of that work uh, is conducted at the National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases uh, that funds basic and applied research uh, in infectious diseases, as well as the development of new therapies. Uh, the FDA has an important role and being able to determine which kinds of drugs and vaccines are ultimately introduced. 
Uh, and despite it being a regulatory agency, there are really interesting innovations and in incentive systems and reward systems, including things like uh, priority review vouchers uh, that can accelerate the, uh, the introduction of new vaccines for uh, important diseases. Uh, there's places like the Fogarty Center at the National Institutes of Health, uh, which does things like economic analysis of international health interventions. Um, and then there are the more operational arms of the U.S. government, like the Centers for Disease Control and the U.S. Agency for International Development that have direct impacts on uh, health and development overseas. In animal welfare, uh, the USDA uh, has an important role to play, um, not only in establishing um, policies that are used that govern uh, some treatment of animals, uh, but also a small research budget, some of which is used and some a larger amount of which could be used um, to develop better, healthier alternatives. State legislatures also have a big role uh, to play in animal welfare as they can pass laws uh, surrounding animal handling and slaughter. Um, and then on catastrophic risks, where um, I've spent most of, of my time, governments have a very significant role. Uh, in that a lot of those risks are influenced by government decisions, both positively and negatively. Um, so some of those organizations have roles in preventing nuclear war, uh, biological warfare or accidents, um, as well as cyber warfare uh, and the misuse of various emerging technologies. Um, among the most important uh, of those organizations, I would say, are the National Security Council, a part of the White House that informs national security decision-making, uh, including decisions about war. The White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, which looks at emerging technologies and their risks. Um, and that office has groups that examine a range of important technologies, including AI, bio, uh, neuroscience, um, among other topics. Uh, within the Department of Defense, there's the Office of Net Assessment, um, which is uh, one of the most unusual organizations, I think, within government, and one of uh, the most important. Uh, it looks at long-range security issues that could be uh, decades in scope. Um, for example, uh, what are changes in future weapon systems that are likely to disrupt uh, deterrence? Um, what would be the consequences of strategic miscalculation uh, with, with nuclear weapons? The Defense Threat Reduction Agency within the Department of Defense is the lead agency responsible for countering chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear weapons. The Federal Emergency Management Agency is responsible for considering worst-case scenarios uh, that could affect the U.S. and developing mitigations against them. Um, and then there are many others that deal with very specific threats, such as uh, the Defense Department's Strategic Command, which is responsible uh, for the United States nuclear weapons and their safety, uh, BARDA, which is a part of Health and Human Services, which is responsible for developing medical countermeasures against uh, bioterrorism, and the intelligence agencies like CIA and DIA that assess how advanced a particular group's uh, biological weapons program is, uh, or their ability to access disruptive technologies, or the likelihood of industrial accidents, uh, for example, in uh, foreign biology labs. So across all three of the EA topics uh, that I mentioned, in global health, uh, in animal welfare, and catastrophic risks, um, one cost-effective route, I think, to having an impact 
uh, is to affect the funding of new technologies uh, that could, in some ways, um, obviate the need for certain kinds of harmful technologies or reduce the risks of technologies if they're sufficiently protected through safety engineering. And for funding scientific and technological research, there are a few important organizations within government. There's the White House Office of Management and Budget, which helps to set the White House budget requests. Uh, and often we'll find even fairly junior folks who are putting their, uh, their weight on multi-billion dollar decisions. It really is extraordinary that even fairly junior positions can have incredible influence. And if you think of this just in terms of an expected value calculation, I mean, even a 10% probability of affecting a $10 billion decision with a billion dollars in expectation can be hugely consequential around topics, uh, whether it's nuclear safety, biological safety, future of autonomous weapons, and so forth. Uh, there's the Congressional Appropriations Committees uh, that approve the budgets from the White House. Uh, again, there you find even fairly junior staffers that have uh, incredible impact. Um, and then there are the organizations that take the budgets that they've been given and decide how to allocate them. Um, those include places like the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, as well as the, the ARPAs. So the Intelligence IARPA, where I work, uh, DARPA, HSARPA, ARPA-E. At those organizations, the program managers, uh, who are typically in their 30s, say, um, have come out of graduate school programs in a science or engineering discipline. They've spent some few years working in a lab, uh, sometimes within academia or within industry. And then they spend a term-limited tour in the government, usually not exceeding five years. And they're given an extraordinary amount of latitude. Uh, they're given a budget of several tens of millions of dollars uh, with the expectation, the trust, uh, that they will invest that money as cost-effectively as possible in solving a particular technical problem. For IARPA, those problems are often associated with reducing the risks of emerging technologies. Um, so as one example, we have a brilliant biologist at IARPA, John Julius, uh, who runs a program called FungiCat, which is focused on developing new systems for screening uh, the sequences that go into DNA synthesizers. Can you determine whether this is a safe sequence or a dangerous sequence? Um, that's the kind of work that we really need program managers to do, and we've entrusted John with a you know, $50 million-plus budget funding work here at Harvard, funding work at MIT, and many other universities and companies in order to advance this goal of reducing risks uh, from synthetic biology. It's much more money, I think, than uh, at least I could have expected to earn in my lifetime uh, but we, we give it, we entrust it to a program manager to spend as wisely as possible um, with the kind of rigor of spending a quarter of that money on testing and evaluation to figure out, are the investments that we're making actually making a difference? Uh, can we accurately assess the risks from, say, a, a novel sequence? So those are program managers. Um, agency directors can further direct hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars to key projects. Um, and again, even if those are only, say, 10% as effective as uh, funding that would be given outside of a bureaucracy, uh, the expected value of those investments uh, are quite large and can have a dramatic impact. Within government, there are also other levers that one can, uh, can pull. Um, working within uh, IARPA, 
we've been able to direct a large budget on reducing catastrophic risks, but we've also been able to engage in policy discussions. Uh, we've led groups within the White House on the long-term impacts of AI and on biology. Uh, we co-led the White House uh, AI R&D strategy, and we've advised the National Security Council on other emerging technologies. There are some decisions that are made only by governments, um, and some of those decisions are highly consequential, uh, like war, or like what weapon systems will be fielded, how technologies will be embedded within larger critical systems. Uh, it makes sense, then, to engage more effective altruists within these positions uh, where they can influence those decisions. Um, one can also have uh, influence on the, the outside, um, working as a contractor uh, within a government agency. Most of the people who work at IARPA are contractors rather than government employees uh, because the amount of expertise that we have to draw on uh, is too vast to hire them all ourselves directly, especially with short-term positions. Uh, so we, we hire computer scientists and biologists and chemists and physicists and neuroscientists and sociologists, political scientists, cognitive psychologists, uh, because we need them all. And we also need lawyers. And we even need philosophers. Uh, we have a, a program on applied philosophy called CREATE, uh, which is a program to develop new systems for argumentation and informal reasoning that can lead intelligence analysts to make better judgments. So we need lots of help. Uh, we need them from lots of places, uh, including contractors, but also think tanks. Um, there are a range of think tanks that inform the policymaking process uh, that have sometimes a quite deep influence on an administration. Uh, the Heritage Foundation, for instance, right now has a substantial influence on the current administration, while past administrations have been influenced by other think tanks, such as Brookings, the Center for a New American Security, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and Harvard's own Belfer Center. Um, there are many others that helped shape the decision-making of government leaders. So that's another way you can have an influence on in government. I'm going to close in my uh, final few minutes just by providing some general advice if you're interested in pursuing uh, a job, uh, short-term or long-term within government. Um, I, I would recommend really thinking about your, your own careers as opportunities to move across and among uh, the different sectors of society, um, government, industry, academia, NGOs, uh, because there, there's a need for um, horizontal transfer of, of knowledge and best practices. Um, if all of our folks within government have come from government straight out of school, um, that, that will prevent us from being able to adopt best practices from industry or from academia. Um, so there really is a need, I think, for continuous cycling throughout a career bouncing around between the different sectors in order to bring knowledge across them. Uh, my first suggestion is to reach out to 80,000 Hours, uh, which I think has been pulling together some advice about government jobs. Um, and I think one of the pieces of advice uh, is at least to pursue it um, as a option, uh, because we are nowhere near the saturation point of effective altruists going into government positions. Uh, there, there are fairly junior positions across government that have uh, a high potential impact that we have trouble recruiting for. Uh, my second uh, suggestion is to get to know the people who work within the organizations where you'd like to work. Um, you can learn a lot about those organizations, their structure, their staff, 
uh, just from online websites, uh, as well as Wikipedia. And you can find the biographies of some of the people who you might want to mimic their career. Um, so one strategy is just to reverse engineer their biography. Right? So figure out what are the steps that seem critical in getting them to the positions uh, that you would like to have in the future. Um, and on that point, many of these um, people are lawyers, but just as many of them are scientists and engineers. And we do need more philosophers in government as well. Um, but I think you'll find that the, the diversity of talent that we need is ever-growing. Uh, there's a, a particular intersection between policy and technology uh, that is extremely difficult uh, to recruit for. So for people who are still picking their ma major or their concentration for a thesis, if you look at the science policy of blank, pretty much any of the topics that are critical on our list have not been saturated with attention. There's still lots of low-hanging fruit to pick. Um, my last suggestion is to reach out to me, um, especially if you're interested in per pursuing a job, short-term or long-term, in national security or reducing global catastrophic risks, um, mostly because I really need the help. Uh, that's it. <laughs>